I want to share a few thoughts this morning on the shepherd who came as a lamb first. It almost sounds like an oxymoron to have a shepherd and that same shepherd be a lamb. The shepherd comes to lead the sheep, but never to be a sheep. And in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, starting at verse 1, we have the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the good news. The gospel is good news. And it is great news that God came forth as a human being to bring his kingdom to earth, to bring his salvation to earth. In Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1, this is what it says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi, wise men, people who studied prophecies, it is believed that these magi from the east were from the school that Daniel had established. Those of you that are a little bit more familiar with biblical history, we see that Israel as a nation, in particular Jerusalem, was invaded by the Babylonians. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar had all the young men that showed any form of promise carried away in chains into his empire. And then he chose the elite of the elite. And among them was a young man named Daniel who moved in visions and prophetic utterances. He was gifted by the Holy Spirit. And this gift was notable upon his life, so much so that Daniel became the second most powerful man during the empire of the Babylonians. A wonderful, immense, massive empire. And Daniel became advisor to King Nebuchadnezzar. His words were filled with wisdom, but more than that, they were filled with prophetic insight. So much so, it's what landed him this position as advisor to the king. History tells us that Daniel had established a school for training prophets so that they would understand the signs of the times, so that they would understand prophecies according to Scripture. This is fitting when you understand that Daniel prophesied a number of things concerning the coming of the Messiah. For example, in the book of Daniel, he lays out a prophecy according to the Hebrew calendar, and he declares that from the day that a decree is given for the remnant to return to Jerusalem to rebuild Jerusalem and and the walls of the city that from the day that decree was made he gives a timeline that would spell out when Israel's Messiah would show up and that day coincided with several days before his crucifixion when he sat on the back of a young colt a donkey colt and he rode into Jerusalem and he wept. The people were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Understanding this to be the son of David, a descendant of King David. Many Hebrew prophecies had spoken about the fact that the one who would bring great deliverance to Israel and to the world would be a descendant of David. And they started to shout, Hosanna to the king. 
And the shortest verse in the Bible says Jesus wept. And the reason why he wept was because he made the comment, Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. If you only would really recognize the significance of this day, if you would only recognize the coming of your king. These wise men, over the years, this school and the things that David taught and the prophecies that David pointed to were handed down to scholars who would be trained in his school. And so they came from the east, east of Bethlehem. They came from the region of Babylon. And uh, it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born who is to be king of the Jews? Well, Herod immediately saw his position being threatened. They said, We saw his star, and it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. He was disturbed before this. How many of you know that? He was quite disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, and he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be sharing on several little noticed truths, important prophetic indicators about the birth of Yeshua, the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And so next Sunday I will continue uh, pointing out little-known things that have prophetic impact about the coming of Jesus Christ. I encourage you to be here. As of the beginning of the year, I'm going to be sharing on uh, four points to goal setting that will turn 2020 into a year of vision and a year of plenty. Amen. But for the moment, if we just come back here, it says, I want you to notice, he called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law. He assembled the leaders of religious thought. He assembled the discerners of prophecy, the ones who had studied Scripture, and he huddled them together because he knew well enough that the Word of God contained prophetic mysteries about a king who was yet to come. Anyone in Israel who had any access to the Scriptures knew the powerful impact of Daniel's prophecies when he shared with Nebuchadnezzar about a dream that Neb had. That the head was a gold head, this humongous statue, and it represented the empire of the Babylonians. And then Daniel proceeded to tell him there would be three other empires after you, the Medes and the Persians, then the Greeks, and then the Roman Empire. And during the reign of this fourth kingdom, which we know to have been the Roman Empire, in the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, a kingdom would be established on earth. 
A stone would be cut out of a mountain from the heavens by an invisible hand, and it would come and strike the fourth kingdom which was represented from the knees down to the feet. This fourth kingdom, during the Roman Empire, Jesus came preaching the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God. The good news is we don't have to be prisoners in the kingdom of darkness anymore. If we put our faith in Yeshua, Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the Son of God, a new kingdom has already been established on earth. It doesn't have geographical boundaries. That's why the Great Wall of China can't keep it out. That's why the Bamboo Curtain cannot keep it out. That's why the Iron Curtain of the Soviet Union cannot keep it out. This kingdom is an invasion visible kingdom and it's indivisible it cannot be divided it is the kingdom of God that has come in spirit and in power and there is coming a day when the kingdom of God will physically be visible here on the earth and that day is not far away and the prophets have prophesied about it but Herod understood When he heard that wise men were coming, that these were men who were trained in the school of Daniel, and that Daniel had a historic record of being accurate in in explaining prophecy and giving prophecy. So Herod was disturbed. He was very perplexed. And he pulls all these religious leaders who should have been in the know, and he asked them, He said, where is this child going to be born? Where this Messiah would be born? And in verse 5 they said, in Bethlehem. Unanimously, it was understood that he would be born in the city of David because he would be a descendant of King David. God had promised to David that there would always be one who sits on his throne and that his throne would last forever and ever. And this was spiritually God was speaking of Jesus Christ, of Yeshua, that he would take up the throne representing all of mankind and no longer would we have an Adam made of flesh and blood only, but we would have an Adam, a last Adam, who would hold the title and never again again sell out the human race and this last Adam would be God coming in the flesh. Somebody say thank you Jesus. Verse 6 after they said he will be in Bethlehem they said it was quoted by Micah Verse 6, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. If you were to look up the scripture in Micah chapter 2, you'll see that they left a very significant phrase out. To their detriment and to their judgment. There was a scripture there that they failed to recognize or refused to recognize. There are very few occasions where the next sentence of a prophecy is actually deliberately left out, and this is one of them. If you turn to Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, 
Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Two words I want to share with you here. The first word is ruler. And in the Hebrew, it is the word mashal. Very similar to the word we use for marshal, mashal. And it means one who will rule, who will have dominion, who will reign, who will bear, who will cause, who will have ruling power. Just like Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and just like Daniel prophesied that with the Babylonian Empire, there would be in total four kingdoms that would come. And during the last kingdom, the fourth kingdom, that an invisible kingdom would be established on earth. And then Daniel went on and prophesied about this king, this Messiah. But it's very interesting that Micah picks up the prophetic spirit and he says this one will be born out of the least of all the towns in Judea. But out of the least will come the greatest. How much like God. Bethlehem. Oh, Bethlehem. Ruler. Jesus Christ has come to rule. But he hasn't just come to rule us. He's come to rule for us so that the powers of darkness no longer can pick us off like prey. We are not the objects of their venom. We are now made sons of God. And as sons, we are kings and priests of Almighty God. Can I get an agreement? Micah, what the, what the religious leaders left out was this last line. It says, he will be ruler over Israel whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And when you look that up in the Strong's Analytical Concordance, which goes through every word in the Hebrew manuscript and translates it, the Hebrew reference is number 5769, Olam. The one from ancient days or ancient times means the one who always was. Ancient times, continuous, eternal, everlasting, long time. You see, the prophet Micah was prophesying that of David's lineage would come one of eternal origin. Even in Jesus' day, there was an understanding that this Messiah would not be a normal human being. While he would be a human, there would be something divine about him. There was an understanding that he would come forth from God. And that he would live for perpetuity, forever and ever. But they failed to point this out. And the very truth that they ignored, hear me, the very truth that they ignored as the learned ones of Israel, the very truth that they ignored became the truth that judged them. Because they did not recognize Jesus' claim to being one with the Father 
and being before Abraham was. When Jesus said, I was before Abraham, they ripped their clothes in anger and frustration. But he was pointing them back to the very portion of Scripture they refused to acknowledge. Friend, we are often shamed by the very things we refuse to acknowledge. Today, as you hear the Word of God, I don't want you to be shamed by anything. This Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. And he has come to woo humanity. He has come to heal humanity. He has come to invade this sick darkness and to bring light and to bring hope and eventually to bring a salvation that will redeem even the physical earth and the heavens. Greenies want to renew the earth and God bless them for their efforts. But I'm going to tell you right now that at the end of the ages... God will once again cause His Holy Spirit to brood over the face of the deep. And He will renew the earth and the heavens. And the three heavens will become as one and heaven and earth will be joined. And a new Jerusalem will come down from above. And Jesus will rule forever. Can I get an agreement? They said to Herod, he will come and he will shepherd the people of Israel. In John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And a good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. A hireling is someone that you hire. You pay him wages. You negotiate with him. And he'll look after the sheep on behalf of the owner of the house, of the fields. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. And a good shepherd isn't up for hire. You can't pay him wages. A good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. You see, even in this, not only was Jesus speaking a very important truth, he was going beyond speaking an important truth. He was aligning himself with David. How did David get chosen to be a king? How is it that this little shepherd boy was a man that was a man after God's own heart, according to the word of God? When David was just a little young fella, a teenager, his father's house had many sons, and Jesse, the father, had many, many sheep. And was David, the last born, who was called to be the one who looked after dad's sheep. You know what made David king? Not the fact that he killed Goliath. When David killed Goliath, that's when the people's eye saw David. And the people started to sing, King Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. He killed one, but Goliath represented tens of thousands. That's when the people saw him but God saw him before people did you see God saw David when he was a little shepherd boy and as he's sitting under the shade of a tree he pulls out his harp and he starts singing worship and praise songs to almighty God 
I want to tell you, don't ever underestimate the power and the importance of being in church for praise and worship. Because that's where David first started to take on his kingly suit. He was a worshiper. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said, the day is coming and now is, when the Father is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. David started to clothe himself with a kingly position as he became a worshiper. But then there was something else that was strikingly different about this young teenager than any teenager in that era or even for years before. The value of a sheep is easily replaceable. The value of one lamb is very little in a flock filled with sheep. But when a wolf would come to take one lamb, David would rise up as if he were going to war. These were his father's sheep. Some kids won't even see a job through to the end. But this young guy not only saw the job through to the end, he saw the importance of that job. One sheep was worth him taking a risk and going head to head with a wild wolf, knowing there could be a pack. And after he killed the wolf, a lion had come on another occasion. David stood up to defend his father's sheep. Wild animal after wild animal, David. Every time he rose up, he was willing to lay his life down for one sheep. And I put it to you that God saw the heart of a king. We think of leadership today as those who command and those who have the best benefits and they have the greatest pay. But God always sees a king in the one who's willing to serve even to the point of laying down their own life. And so God raised David up. Now Jesus born in Bethlehem, the city of David's childhood, he makes the statement, the good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. Irony. John the Baptist baptized Jesus and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. We read in Revelations as the uh, 24 elders are worshiping Jesus Christ. They bow down and they say, Worthy, worthy is the Lamb of God. Jesus Christ came to be that sacrificial Lamb, ending all sacrifices, being that every sacrifice that preceded Him was a pattern of a reality that was yet to come, and He was the reality. So on the one hand, Micah the prophet prophesies that he will shepherd and rule the nation of Israel. On the other hand, Jesus said, I've come to be that shepherd, but I'm the shepherd who becomes the sacrificial lamb. I love the fact that God's method of leadership is very different than worldly leadership. In the world, 
Leadership goes to the fittest. Leadership goes to the one who will put up the biggest fight and push themselves ahead. But in the kingdom of God, leadership goes to the one who's willing to lay down and serve everyone else. The shepherd who would be king became the sacrificial lamb who would be slain. This Jesus, this Savior, this Christ that the prophets prophesied about is the same Jesus that everyone who has the Spirit of God inside of them understands that this is the only reason for this particular season and celebration. It is about the Christ God so loved the world that he clothed himself in frail humanity to go through the very hurts and the very pain that you and I go through in life. The things that have ripped you asunder, the things that you thought you would never recover from. God became acquainted with the hurt and the pain of mankind because he loved us so much he had decided that he would trade places with us. I don't think anywhere in history will you find so contrasting a picture of one of such noble birth being willing to be one of such humble position. Today, as we come to the finale of this short message, I challenge you. I challenge you. The very message that the religious leaders ignored, the very point that they refused to focus on, it became their stumbling block and the point on which they did not accept this Messiah. And today I challenge you, on the very point that Jesus Christ is God, Religion can't heal you. It can sympathize with you. It can send you through motions of a form of repentance, but religion in itself cannot piece your heart together again, nor can it break off the chains of oppression and demonic activity. But God himself has come to rip the kingdom of darkness apart. He has come amongst us right into Satan's field and his dominion and his domain because he cares about each and every one of us so much that he cannot stand that we would be on our own. His name is Emmanuel, God. The God who is among us. The God who is with us. The God who will stand with us. The God who is in us and the God who is for us. And I challenge you today. The very principles that we ignore become the very things that have the power to shame us. And I trust that today 
you will not ignore the fact that Jesus said, you must be born again. No one can come to the Father but by me. He said, I am the gate. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He said to one of the leading religious teachers of that day, he came to him by nighttime so no one would see him going to Jesus. And he says, what do I need to do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You may have heard the phrase before. You may have tossed it aside. You may have even... Maybe even snickered. Nicodemus snickered. He said, how can I go back into my mother's womb? Jesus said, you need to be born a second time of a spiritual birth. I'm going to ask everyone to stand with me right now. As we come to conclusion, if I could have a keyboard player. Is, is he here? Thank you. As we come to conclusion here this morning, and just before we get ready to break bread and to get into great festivities, sometimes there's a, a gift inside the gift. There is a feast before this feast. And that feast is to recognize Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and to accept Him into your heart. I'll be very honest with you, as I always am. Anyone who knows me and has been around me here, they know that I'll always speak the truth. I'll always try, endeavor to speak it with love and with grace but I'll speak the truth. And the truth is, this church, I think it's a good church, but this church coming here doesn't get you a place in heaven. And I'll tell you another truth. There isn't a church that you can be a member of that the church itself will take you to heaven. It doesn't matter who says contrary. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father unless they come through me. And so we could be religious. We could serve in a church. We could go through some of the functions. We could go through some of the sacred Actions that a church may require. <laughs> but did you ever notice the Jesus in the Gospels? He didn't come with form. He didn't come with ceremony. He didn't come with religious trappings. He came in a very common way. Because the way of salvation is a very simple way 
Jesus said, you, you, you really need to understand that I am the Savior of the world and that only I can forgive you of all your sins and I'm not willing to do that from the outside. I want to come inside of your life. If he's king and he knocks at the door of your heart, doesn't he deserve for you to open the doors and let him in? Look, there are so many things we shoot for in life. Come on. There are so many things we make priorities and we become busy about. And while the whole world is singing, Hark the Herald Angel Sings, I'm asking you to hark. The Spirit of God is speaking. Have you accepted this Jesus Christ to be your Lord and to be your Savior? 10,000 gifts can be given at Christmas time, but have you received the gift of all gifts? The gift of God's love. The gift of God's Son. This king who was happy to be born in a manger. This shepherd who was happy to be the lamb that laid down its life. Have you accepted the most important gift of all gifts? I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes. You might be in your 50s. You might be in your 70s. You might be a teenager. No one is too young or too old. And every one of us will be held accountable by the truths we've heard. Don't let this be the truth you ignore. Religion cannot save you. Pastor Rob can't save you. No religious icon can save you. But you can come to Jesus Christ and accept him as your Savior, and you will be saved, born again, taken out of the kingdom that is ruled by haunting demons, taken out of a dominion that is controlled by vexing spirits. It amazes me that as I move forward in life, how many people have had dark, supernatural encounters. And they've seen things from the demonic realm. This kingdom of darkness is real. And there are many of you here who have had encounters of the dark kind. But Jesus Christ, the light of heaven, the light of that comes to set us free, is knocking at your door. He said this, Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. Every knock is an opportunity to say yes to Jesus Christ. As you close your eyes, can you hear him knocking? Have you ever asked Jesus Christ into your heart? This Son of God has chosen to be your Savior, to live with you and in you and to live for you. If you have never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, then this morning 
I want you to raise your hand while every eye is closed and say, yes, pastor, I want to accept that Savior. Thank you. I see that hand all the way up the back. God bless you. I see this hand down here. I see that hand over there. Thank you. You can put those hands down. If, you, if you've ra not raised your hand yet, raise your hand. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Father, for hands across this auditorium. I'm going to ask everyone to pray with me. If you've raised your hand, you know who you are. I want you especially to pray this prayer with me. It's a simple prayer. Yeah, it doesn't take a difficult thing to accept the Son of God. It's simple. This simple prayer will acknowledge that we've all sinned, we've all made mistakes, and that we need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. And we're going to invite him into our hearts. So especially to those of you, many raised your hands across this auditorium. I appreciate that. I commend you. Good for you. God bless you. This is the best decision that anyone can ever make. Run with this decision. As we pray. I want you to pray from the depths of your heart. Everyone, as your eyes are closed, pray with me. Dear God, thank you for loving me. You so loved me that you became flesh. And I thank you, God. You understand me. You know me. You feel me. You hear me. And so right now I ask, Jesus, I believe you are God in the flesh. And I welcome you today. Come into my heart. I receive you. I need you. I welcome you. Forgive me of all my sins. Jesus Christ, be my Lord. Be my Savior. Live in me. I surrender to you today. Take my life and fill it with your life. Father God, I thank you right now for this awesome gift. I needed it. And I will treasure Christ in me. In Jesus' name. Amen.